Hey, welcome back to the Fam Lab. There's all five of us in here sitting around a round table. And you're going to get to hear from all of us after you hear from Wes McAdams, the preacher at the Church of Christ on McDermott Road, uh, from the family conference that that church puts on. Uh, these are excerpts from his keynote lesson at the family conference in 2019. And so we are uh, kind of plugging that conference for 2020, but just wanted to go back and revisit some of the things that he said. And uh, you'll hear from all of us at the end of this episode, kind of recapping some of the great points that uh, Wes delivers and explains and presents. Um, Matt, why don't you introduce us to Wes? Thanks, Barrett. Wes is the uh, preaching minister for the Church of Christ uh, on McDermott Road and also uh, does work through the Radically Christian blog and podcast. Great uh, resource to, to check out as well. Uh, but one of the things that, that I really appreciate about Wes and his wife, Holly, is just how much they enjoy uh, their boys and enjoy their family. And I think that um, that comes out on this podcast that you know not only do they, they care about you know just the spiritual significance of their family, but they just enjoy being parents. And, and that shows uh, in his words. And so we're excited to have uh, this excerpt from Wes uh, teaching us on the podcast today. Wes is a friend of ours and a co-worker of ours, but uh, he is also somebody that uh, I think I can speak for all of us, that he uh, is somebody that we uh, look up to, think a lot of, we think a lot of his family as well. Um, fun guy to be around. So we hope that you are blessed by this conversation and especially what he has to say. Um, remember, do us a favor, share this podcast on social media, rate, review, subscribe. You can follow us on iTunes and Stitcher. We would love it if you would follow us on both. Be sure and leave some positive thoughts. And you can contact us at hellofamlab at gmail.com. Again, that's hellofamlab at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, just your thoughts on uh, any episode, things that you liked, didn't like, things that we can improve, um, ideas for future episodes, whatever you are thinking about the Fam Lab, um, positive or otherwise, please reach out, let us know. Uh, we would love to have you included in this conversation. All right, let's get into it. Here's Wes. Here's the big idea for today. We were not designed to be self-governing. We were not designed to be self-governing. We, we want to be self-governing, don't we? We want to do what, what we want to do, but we weren't designed to be self-governing, to be autonomous. We were designed to be governed by God. You see, and when we try to take on that autonomy, back in the garden, and the garden explains everything, doesn't it? When we decided, I want to be in charge of my own world, I want to, I want to call the shots, I want to know what's right, it was harmonious and peaceful and everything was in perfect harmony. Creation and people and the husband and the wife and animals and the land and everything, there was perfect, perfect unity and harmony. And then from that moment on, there was, there was chaos. We were designed to be governed by God. And when we say, I don't really want to be governed by God, I want to call my shots, I want to do what I want to do, then there becomes Chaos. Think of, think of anything that we've created. Think about things like cars and, and cell phones and computers. And they, 
There's the idea that they're becoming more autonomous. I, I love the idea of an autonomous car. I love the idea of like, I get in it and it drives me and I can read a book or I can have a conversation and I don't have to, I love that. But, but I don't really want a truly autonomous, self-governing car, right? I still want to tell it where to go, right? I still want to say, hey, go to this place and if it gets a mind of its own and it goes somewhere other than where I tell it, if it refuses to take human input, it's not going to do very well for me. And not only that, it's going to come into conflict with everything else. If, if these things that we created and designed no longer take instruction from us, can you imagine the chaos that would ensue? Can you imagine if cars on the road just did whatever the car wanted to do and said, hey, listen, buddy, I, I don't feel like going there today. I want to go run over here. You know, I want to go run a race. I want to go do my own thing. There would be all kinds of chaos. That's exactly what the world is like. Because of the fact we all want to be self-governing. We all want to be autonomous. But I believe when the Bible talks about when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it's about this idea that God is bringing everything back into his governance, his rule, and his reign. Because there's a man governing my life, then I will be happy, right? Think about, think about nearly every every. I hate to ruin Disney movies, so I won't name any specifically, but you know what I'm talking about. Think about almost every movie out there. One of the subplots is that if I didn't have to listen to the traditions of the elders or the traditions of my parents, if I could sort of do things my own way, if I could break free and do life my own way, then in the end, I would live, how does it always end, happily ever after, right? But it doesn't really work that way, does it? When you get what you want or you start on a path where you think you're going to get what you want, where you're going to govern your own life and you're going to be in charge of your own world, eventually, at some point or another, it's going to bump up against somebody else who also thinks they're going to run their own life and be in charge of their own world and they're going to have what they want. And self-governed humanity doesn't result in peace and harmony, self-governed humanity results in chaos. And so when the Bible uses this word kingdom, the kingdom, you can go to the next slide there, the kingdom is about a creation that's brought back under the rule and the reign of God so that there can be peace and harmony. It's about you and me deciding that I'm going to live under God's rule and reign. I'm going to live according to how I was designed to live. Kingdom means God's king. Kingdom means God's in charge. And isn't that what Jesus came to do? He came to put God back in charge of the world. And, and the struggle, though, is that even our own bodies don't really want God to be in charge. Our, the Bible calls that our, our flesh. And there's so much of the world that still isn't under the rule and the reign of God. But, but as Christians, we understand that's, that's the goal. 
is for people to be brought under the rule and reign of God. Because when that happens, when God's in charge, when I'm not self-governed, but I'm God-governed, when I'm not autonomous, but I'm ruled and I'm reigned by God, then there is peace and there can be peace and harmony between all of us that are ruled and reigned by God. So there is this, this sort of waiting for everything to be brought under God's rule and reign. But in the meantime, the church and our families are supposed to be places where God rules and reigns. And there's peace and harmony in that. And so our goal as Christians is to bring, to allow Jesus to reconcile us to God, to bring us under his, his rule and his reign so that I'm not trying to be a self-governed husband and my wife's not trying to be a self-governed wife and we're not trying to be self-governed parents and our children aren't trying to be self-governed people, but we're trying to be ruled and reigned by, by God so that there can be kingdom. And that's what the book of Matthew is all about. So that's where we're going to be in our text this morning. So if you've got your Bible, the book of Matthew. And, and, and Matthew is all about King Jesus and about King Jesus bringing the world back under the rule and the reign of God. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes I used to read the Sermon on the Mount just saying, hey, you people are broken and you need a savior. And that's true, you know, absolutely. But it's also, this is, what, this is what it should look like when you're kingdom people. This is what it should look like when you're brought under the rule and reign of God. When you decide, I'm not going to be self-governed anymore. I'm going to let God, not my will, but your will be done. And the Beatitudes are a tremendous place to start. In fact, I love what uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says about the Beatitudes. He says this, the Beatitudes are the agenda for kingdom people. They're not simply about how to behave so that God will do something nice for you. They're about the way in which Jesus wants to rule the world. He wants to do it through this sort of people, people actually just like himself. So let's, let's kind of spend just a few minutes this morning thinking about who's in charge of our family. Is our home... And then as our home reaches out into our church family and into the community, who's, who's in charge? Who's calling the shots? Are we, are we seeking to be self-governed people, self-made people, self-directing people, autonomous people? Or are we seeking to be God-governed people and have a God-governed marriage and training our children to be God-governed? And imagining what our family could look like if it was our goal to let Jesus bring us back into harmony, reconciliation with God. So let's look at a few of the Beatitudes. And I know you know this text, but, but let's think about it in this light. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in poverty of spirit. It's exactly the opposite of of pride, isn't it? It's exactly the opposite of self-reliance. Somebody who's not poor in spirit says, I have all of the answers. I mean, it's exactly what a child does. It's exactly what Wes does. If I was just in charge, man, the world would be a better place. Just put me in charge. I'll show you how to do it. Mom, listen to me. I know the right cereal to buy. We think we know, don't we? 
We think we have the answers. But a person with a poverty of spirit says, I don't know. I don't know. I need God's help. And that's, I mean, think about that for just a second. What sort of spirit reigns in our family? A self-reliant spirit that says, hey, be the kind of person that has all the answers and you go out and do it and you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Or the kind of spirit that's desperate. That's what, that's what a poor person is, isn't it? Desperate. I need, I need help. I'm in want. What kind of a spirit reigns in our family? A spirit of self-reliance or a spirit of total, desperate dependence on God? If you're a mom or a dad and your kids hear you pray, how do you pray? Do you pray with that poverty of spirit? When you're, when you're a parent and you're leading your children, how do they see you lead? With a self-reliant leadership or a poverty of spirit leadership? If you're a husband and you're trying to be the very best head of your household and lead your wife and be an encouragement and love her and lay your life down for her, does she see you lead with a poverty of spirit? If you're a wife and you're trying your very best to love and respect your husband and submit to him and respect him, and be a strong woman, and the woman you, you know God wants you to be, do you, do you do that with a sort of self-reliance or a total desperate dependence on God? Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who have this sort of poverty of spirit that are desperately dependent on God. And I don't know about you, but we live, I feel like we live in a culture that wants us to be self-reliant, that wants us to, to act like we have all the answers and act like we've got it all figured out, act like we know, follow our own desires because we, we know where to go, we know how to lead, we know how to be in charge. And Jesus calls his people to be the exact opposite of that, to say, I, I don't know if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't know what way was up. I need his leadership, I need his guidance, I need his spirit, I need his scriptures, I need him, I'm desperately dependent on him. Now look at the next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I've been thinking probably too much about this one all week this week. Do we know how to lament? I don't mean just like mourn or lament about our own personal sin or about like bad things that happen to us. But if we look around in the world and we say the problem in the world, the reason there's conflict and the reason there's fighting and the reason there's racism and injustice and child trafficking and all the horrible things that happen in the world, the reason people kill each other is that they think they know what's best and they're trying to be their own God and take charge of their own world. And what they really need is to be brought under the rule and reign of King Jesus. If we look at the world and we think that, it should break our heart, shouldn't it? The scriptures are full of lament. We love to laugh and have a good time and enjoy life. And that's good. We should, we should be a rejoicing, happy, joyful people. That's good. But there is a time, Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for laughter and time for joy. But there's also a time for sadness. And the scriptures are full of laments. It says, God, this is broken and you need to fix it. This is broken and it needs help. Moms and dads and grandparents, 
Do we teach our kids to lament? Do we teach them that there are sad, heartbreaking things in the world? Because for, for us living here, it's really easy for us to just shelter them from that, isn't it? I mean, we have the ability to sort of build a world in which they don't have to see the injustice. They don't have to see the hurt. They don't have to see the pain. They don't have to see what's happening all over the world. So we can sort of shelter them from all of that and, and have them to just grow up and thinking everything is fine and, and nothing's wrong in the world and, and nothing's broken that needs fixing. But let me ask you, how in the world will we raise missionaries if we don't teach them to weep over things that are heartbreaking? How will we send children into our own communities, much less communities all over the world, unless we teach them, do you see this? Do you see how heartbreaking this is? And obviously we have to, have to do so at age-appropriate levels and in age-appropriate ways. But, but I know as a parent, one of the easy things to do is just shelter my kids from anything that's sad. Shelter them from anything that's heartbreaking. But at some point... We have to introduce them to those things. I'll tell you, sometimes the things that have most amazed me about my kids, one time when we were in, in Abilene, I'll tell you this story real quick. One of the, the guys that did some of our work in Zambia, and we would go over to Zambia and we would help drill water wells, and we would provide, that well would provide water for the entire community. So we would go in there and we'd drill that well and we'd give the well to the church there and let the community know the church loves you and wants you to have water. So that local congregation would be sort of in charge of that well, but the water was for the entire community. And so one of our deacons got up and explained what we were doing and asking for funds. And Malachi, who was probably like six or seven at the time, that weighed on him huge. I mean, huge. He wanted to give every cent he could find to help give water to people that he had never met but that broke his heart that they were without water. In fact, we went to a, we went to a family reunion. They had, you know, those like coin guessing games where you got a whole jar full of coins. So there was this whole jar full of coins and, and there was a lot of money in it. And, and he's, he guessed, you know, whatever he guessed. And he told me, Dad, if I win that, I'm going to give it all to Zambia. I was like, dude, that's great. But that makes me feel really guilty because that never crossed my mind. But he would have never, by the way, he did win it and he did give it to them. Um, but that would have never crossed his mind had we sheltered him from everything that was sad in the world. There are people that are hungry. There are people that are thirsty. There are people that live in war-torn countries. There is injustice and there's racism and there's people hurting each other. There's children that are taken. And I, obviously, I wouldn't scare my little kids or anything like that. But they have to know, don't they? At some point, as they grow into men and women, that there are things that are broken in the world and that God calls us to be a part of bringing the kingdom, bringing his rule and reign to the world. We're partnering with God to do that. And nobody's ever going to get excited about doing that and be passionate about doing it unless they realize that it's happening and that God is calling them, that Jesus is calling them, that the world needs them to step up and do something. And then right on the heels of that, verse 5, blessed are the, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, one of the, the things that we have to avoid doing is helping our children to mourn without teaching them to be meek. 
Because it's one thing to mourn and say, hey, there are broken things in the world and they need fixing. And if we're not careful and we're not God-ruled and reigned people, then we'll think we can take it into our own hands and fix it ourselves. I'll do it. I'll fix it. I'll make people do what they're supposed to do. And that's not the way it works. You see, you can't bring about the rule and the reign of God without meekness. The way we bring about good is by doing good. See, the world says fight fire with fire. If there's evil people in the world, you need to give them evil right back. And Jesus teaches us that that's not the way it works. You bring about good. You overcome, Romans chapter 12, you overcome evil by doing good. Meekness. Are our families a place where meekness is modeled? Are our families a place where meekness is held up? as a standard, as a virtue, where we don't look at meek people that try to accomplish good in the world through meek and gentle and self-controlled and kind ways. We don't look at those people as naive. We don't look at those people as foolish. We look at those people as warriors. That's the way we're going to have families that are kingdom families. Blessed are, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What is, your, what, is, what is my family hungry for? I mean, if we're really honest, what are we hungry for? What drives us? What's our passion? What do we want? I mean, if we were really honest, what does your family want? A Cowboys Super Bowl win one of these days, right? Or a Rangers World Series. I mean, yes, yes, yeah, we, we want those. And more money, a nicer vacation, a bigger house. And before we know it, those are the things we're hungry for. Things that in the grand scheme of things don't matter. What do you hunger and thirst for? What are you teaching your children to be hungry and thirsty for? Your grandchildren, what are you teaching them to hunger and thirst for? What are you... What are you wetting your your spouse's appetite to be hungry and thirsty for? Righteousness? To, To be right and to do right in the world? Or just for more stuff? More safety, more security, more comfort, more enjoyment, more pleasure? What are we hungry and what are we thirsty for? Verse 7, blessed are those who are merciful. Is, is mercy, mercy is a kingdom virtue. Is it something that's lifted up in our, in our families? Listen, here's something I was thinking of earlier. I've got to teach my kids mercy because I'm going to need it from them. Amen? I'm going to need them to be merciful to me as their dad already, but even more as time goes on. I want them to be merciful to me. I want them to be merciful to each other. I want them to be merciful to their neighbors. I want them to know that God's people are merciful. What's talked about in your house? What do you talk about around the dinner table? When you talk about politics or world events, is mercy a virtue that you lift up? Or do you just talk about people getting what they deserve? See, are we we the kind of people, am I the kind of dad and the kind of husband and the kind of American and the kind of person who values mercy? And is that a virtue that's seen as valuable and upheld in my home. Not just mercy for each other. (laughs) Obviously, our families have to be a place where we extend mercy to each other, where mercy rules and not judgment. But it's also got to extend beyond the borders of our house. 
to our neighbors and to our friends, where we teach our kids, yes, there's right ways to do things and there's wrong ways to do things and we've got to speak truth, but we've also got to be a merciful people. I'm running out of time, I know. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart. Our hearts have to be, our homes have to be a place where hearts are guarded, but also where our hearts are shared and our hearts' questions are answered, where people can be real and sincere and true and pure. What's on your mind? What's on your mind? Who are you? And man, we live in just such a loud culture, don't we? It's always got to be noise. Always got to be the radio's on or the TV's on or the phone is on or Twitter's on or something is on. And, and we're, we're always just, our, our voices are drowned out. Our, heart, our families and our homes have to be a place where people's hearts are known and where we help our children to explore and answer the questions of their heart. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. A kingdom home is a place where peace is a priority. What is it that Jesus goes on to say later in the Sermon on the Mount? If you're, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember somebody has something against you, you say, well, tough luck. That's their problem, not mine, right? No. You, you leave your gift at the altar and you go and you be reconciled to them. Is that the kind of thing that happens? Is that the kind of behavior and character and virtue that is exalted in our homes? Where reconciliation and peace is a great priority. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our homes have to be a place that aren't just focused on the present reality, but also on the future hope. How often do we spend talking with our kids about that? about the fact that I know this hurts right now, and I know this isn't fun right now, and I know it's difficult following Jesus in a world that doesn't understand that. I know it's difficult being a merciful person in a world that's not merciful. I know it's hard being a person who's meek in a world that doesn't value meekness. I know it's hard being a peacemaker when the people around you don't care anything about peace. I know that's hard but you cannot imagine the reward that Jesus has for us. Amen? You, you can't imagine the reward that Jesus has for us. And so helping our children and our spouses and each other ourselves to see that future hope and grasp onto it and live our lives in the, in the fact that I know this world right now and everything that's in it, it's in rebellion to God. Even my own body is in rebellion to God. But someday, someday, it's going to be better. Three things I want to end with. How do you create a God-governed home? And I want to encourage you, go through the whole Sermon on the Mount. But number one, emphasize kingdom character. These traits that we just talked about, poverty of spirit, meekness, mercy, purity of heart, peacemaking, emphasize kingdom character. In our homes, character has to trump achievement. And we know that, don't we? We know, like, I would rather my kid be the nicest kid on the team than the best kid on the team. I'd rather my kid be the kindest student in class than the smartest student in class. We know that and we say that, but, but do our kids hear that? A, a 2014 Harvard study said this, while 96% of parents say they want to raise ethical, caring children and cite the development of moral character as very important, if not essential, 80% 
of the youths that they surveyed reported that their parents are more concerned about achievement or happiness than caring for others. Approximately the same percentage reported that their teachers prioritize student achievement over caring. What are our kids hearing? What do they think we care about? What does our spouse think we care about? Achievement and what we have and what we do and how well we perform or about our character, that we're peacemakers, that we're meek, that we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. If we're going to have kingdom homes, then character has to trump achievement. We have to emphasize kingdom character. Number two, we have to pray kingdom prayers. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You pray about what you care about. And your spouse knows what you pray about. And your kids know what you pray about. And, and it's good that we pray for, you know, help aunt so-and-so to get better and, and, and help this storm to pass and help this to happen and, you know, be with our dog. And, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of good things to pray about, but you pray about what you care about. And if we aren't praying that God's name be hallowed on the earth as it is in heaven, for his kingdom to come on the earth as it is in heaven, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. If those kinds of things aren't on our mind and in our heart and on our lips, when's the last time when you sat down for a family prayer and you're praying, you know, bless this food, help it to nourish our bodies, that you prayed about the kingdom of God or that the name of God be hallowed on the earth? Or that God's will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And finally, number three, keep your eyes on the king. Jesus goes through this sermon and he says, listen, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. There's a storm coming. Or maybe there's a storm that's already here. And whether or not your house stands up through the storm depends on whether or not you build your house on the king, on his kingdom, whether or not your focus is on him. Let's have homes that are saturated in truth, saturated in the name of Jesus, saturated in the mission of Jesus, where it's not enough that we just, we're just together, it's not enough that we just eat meals and that we love each other and that we get along pretty well, but that we're really reconciled to God. And that we're really seeking, as hard as it is, and as much as we struggle, we're seeking to be ruled and reigned by God. Let Jesus reconcile your family to God. Because that's what we believe, isn't it? We believe that the best life now and forever is a life that's brought back under the rule and the reign of God. Where I say, I don't want to be in charge of my life, I just make a mess of it. I don't want to be autonomous. I don't want to be self-governed. I want God to rule my life again. I want him to call the shots. I want his will to be done. I want his name to be hallowed. I want people to remember him. I want people to know him. I want his kingdom to come, not mine. And if we have that attitude personally, and then we let that seep into our marriage, into our parenting, where our goal is for Jesus to reconcile our family to God, then when the storms come, when the rain comes down, the floods come up, our house will stand because it's built on the rock. Thank you.
We hope that you enjoyed Wes McAdams. Uh, let's get into some follow-up conversation. Again, we would love for you to be a part of our conversations. Uh, we'd love to read some emails on here, hear from you. So email us at hellofamlab at gmail.com to be a part of the conversations that we have after uh, each interview and session that we have. Um, man, a lot of great nuggets from Wes here. A lot of really great talking points. I know for all of us, um, some really life-changing, uh, eye-opening stuff. Uh, but Mikey, get us started on some of this conversation. Yes. Well, I think Wes does such a great do- job of taking really complicated concepts and putting them in a simple way that we can understand the, you know, kind sure. of the the background behind them. And he does that all the time. And I think he especially did that in this, in this keynote address. But um, when he talked about how our human desire to be in control is what puts us in at odds with God's design to be in control of us and how that causes really all the problems that, that we encounter, um, that we weren't designed to be autonomous that it's that's where the conflict comes from when we try to run things on our own and uh, that was really it was eye-opening like you said Barrett that really impactful to me and just the concept of the kingdom God's kingdom being his creation brought back under his control and how that should be a goal of ours I appreciated that and and how he tied that into our families yeah I think one of the things about you know, the Beatitudes and, and things is, you know, because they're, you know, written in a format that might be uh, different than the way that we talk every day or think every day, that sometimes we can view them as, as unapproachable. But, um, you know, really the, the talk helped to emphasize just how, you know, wired this type of thinking should become for Christian followers and those that are uh, seeking to raise uh, their families as being centered on Christ. Uh, one of the things that always has helped me with the Sermon on the Mount is this idea that uh, that Randy Harris kind of popularized a couple uh, of years ago about the idea that you know you should always read with a conclusion in mind, and when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, that conclusion is uh, seeking to build your house on the rock instead of on the sand, and how everything in the Sermon on the Mount is building towards you know, what it looks like to build your house on the rock. And I feel like this, you know, lesson from Wes, you know, really even showed how this introduction, this Beatitudes section of the Sermon on the Mount is leading towards, you know, like Mikey said, seeking to, um, you know, live wisely and to, you know, live in the in the way that, that Jesus has called us to, for sure. We, as he said, we all want to be in charge of our own lives. We want to do things that we want to do, or we have that struggle anyway. And when it comes to our families, and when you're taking care of other people, or you're in a group, it's not all about you. Um, and we have to teach our kids about that. That you know, <laughs> just because it's it's uh, somebody else's, or just because you had a birthday, doesn't mean that uh, the next birthday is yours. My three-year-old. Every time we've celebrated birthdays here recently, she's like, it's my birthday. And it's like, no, your birthday was, okay, yeah, that's just whatever. And she just, she likes to celebrate, but she's thinking it's all about her. She's three. She doesn't really know any different. But these Beatitudes remind us that it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. It's about that foundation 
Uh, I do want to plug that I was in a band called the Beatitudes Dudes when I was um, younger. Me and my cousin Robbie. Um, Maybe we can find some of that audio to introduce a, a Fam Lab episode. I think sometime. you know I'll, I'll have to find that for sure. Yeah, please do. Um, so uh, be, be looking for that on iTunes and Stitcher as well. Um, but the, the, these Beatitudes um, are just so practical and and they help us and remind us of what we really should be focused on, and that is being um, governed by God and that God is the one that is um, guiding us and, and showing us the way that we need to live. And as you said, Matt, like I, it's a simple story. It's a kid's story, but I just love that that the rock and the sand illustration that Jesus uses. It's so practical. It's something that they, you know, we, we see that everywhere we go. I think about when we go to the beach, um, or you're at a lake or something, you can just, you can, you can picture that. At least I picture that in my mind. Um, but, uh, just emphasizing that, that kingdom mindset rather than that selfish mindset is something that Wes pointed out. And that was a very good thing to be reminded of. That's exactly right, Kyle. And I loved how he talked about kingdom character and how so especially in this area that we live in, we are so uber-focused sometimes on our children's achievement rather than their character. And it is more important to build that kingdom character in our children than their grades and their athletic achievement and their SAT scores and all that stuff that seems to kind of, again, cloud um, our priorities and focus as our as parents. So I just I appreciate Wes so much and his ability to just help us zone in on what's really important and prioritizing what's really important in our lives. He also mentioned a question that, that uh, I thought was really interesting: of what do our our kids or what do our spouses think we care about? Uh, what are we emphasizing? Um, and I think that uh, we definitely all uh, liked that question and probably have other things to say about that. But it's just a, it's a great thing to just think about of how, how are we showing our family what we care about through our actions and how we treat people and things like that. Barrett, did I steal your question? That was a really good point, Kyle, and almost word for word what I was going to say. I have no further thoughts. I will relinquish the rest of my time. <laughs> well, another point that Wes made was about not sheltering our kids from the brokenness of our world and how it is important for them to understand that not everyone has a, a warm home and food on their table and clothes that they can choose from to wear to school and that sort of thing. And and just that perspective-altering opportunities for kids to understand that their situation may not be the same as others and um, and to under help kids understand that the brokenness in our world started from the chaos we've created by going against God's plan for us and and I thought that was an important connection he also talked about how we need to incorporate meekness into our discussions with kids about brokenness and how we need to use the use what God has given us to help others. He makes a great point. I think it's at the beginning about the Beatitudes are not about the reward attached, but these are the type of people that Jesus wants to 
rule with. And I think that's a great mentality when you're saying, hey, we're going to be a kingdom-minded family. Um, and you look at these particular scriptures and you look at emphasizing kingdom character um, to not emphasize reward necessarily, but the practicality of, hey, like Kyle was saying, what are these, um, you know, practically speaking, what are ways that we can live a more kingdom-focused life? What are our kingdom-sized goals uh, that we have as a family? Uh, and he does a really good job of, that's a really theological point, a really spiritualized point, you know, emphasizing the kingdom in your family and in their character and in your household. And then he makes it really practical of, hey, you need to pray kingdom prayers. Here's a, you know, one takeaway. Here's something really concrete. Uh, when you are praying as a family, are your prayers focused around um, kingdom things? And it's something that has changed my prayer life, uh, maybe not necessarily this lesson, but it's definitely helped of um, praying as a family, Lord, come quickly. This is not the the life or the world that we are, um, you know, made to be living in. We want you to reign. We want your kingdom to come. We want to be a part of it here. Um, I think that's a big deal uh, and something that's really practical. So uh, I know if you're like me and you're looking for something just really concrete, what's one takeaway? Uh, that was definitely a big one for me. I think it's a second point uh, kind of at the end of the lesson is just, hey, change your prayer life. Shape it like the prayers that Jesus was saying. Um, it's easy to sit down, and he gives really good examples of, you know, help our sick dog and, you know, just really uh, kind of almost silly things that we can get wrapped up praying for over and over and over. Um, but even if your children are really young and not in the age group that, that I typically work with, but, you know, little kids reminding them, hey, we're praying for, um, and just being really open so that they get that language, I think, uh, ex- you know, exposure. Hey, we're praying for the, the Lord's kingdom, for God's kingdom, uh, for his uh, rule and all of those things uh, is really important. I think, you know, as we kind of, you know, wrap up, you know, here today, you know, maybe an exercise that, you know, that might be worthwhile to do with your family, kind of like uh, Barrett alluded to, is to, to sit down and say, okay, what, what does a kingdom-centered family look like? You know, what does that mean? How does that affect our schedule? How does that affect the choices that we make? Maybe it's in terms of entertainment or who we hang out with. How does it affect our choices about exposure? You know, are we going to you know, make sure our kids, you know, get to serve in communities that are less uh, fortunate than, than maybe the one we live in. Or are we going to, um, you know, talk about the things that are on the news that maybe aren't the easiest things to talk about and maybe ask some why questions about why things are the way that they are in the world so that we can center them back to uh, things as God intended. So maybe that's a good exercise to do with your family to think about what the kingdom-minded family uh, would look like. So Barrett, why don't, you, why don't you bring us out? That's great. All really good stuff. We hope that you enjoyed uh, the keynote from Wes, and hopefully you got something from our wrap-up conversation here. Again, we would love for you to be a part of this conversation. We would love to hear from you, so shoot us an email. Um, any feedback that you have is greatly appreciated. You can email us at hellofamlab at gmail.com. Also, do us a favor, if you don't mind, maybe telling some friends about this, sharing it on social media. We do have a Facebook page. You can follow us over there. You can get in touch with us over on Facebook as well. Uh, But leave us uh, a rating, a review. Uh, Be sure and subscribe, and you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Again, would love to hear from you. HelloFamLab at gmail.com. Have a happy new year, a continued happy new year. Um, We're praying for your families, and we hope that you got something from this. Deuces.